In this week's How to Be 60, Susanna Constantine tells us about how Princess Margaret spared her blushes, why her privilege wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and the turning point in her battle with alcohol. The next morning thinking, I, I'm, you know, I just want to die. That's not like, oh, I feel so awful, I want to die. I wanted to die. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. Greetings, one and all, to another HTB60 podcast. See, we've narrowed it down now. It's 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 so burned into people's consciousness so that it's not even how to be 60 anymore. It's HTB60, which sounds like a kind of HRT. Anyway, 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 with me, <laughs> Kay Adams, and her, Karen McKenzie. Now, we're going to be speaking to Susanna Constantine of Trini and Susanna fame. She's just written her autobiography, uh, ready for absolutely nothing. Um, she is also, like me, a member of that exclusive club the first person to be booted out of Strictly Come Dancing uh, just full disclosure everyone we did speak to Susanna while I was still in doing my brief stint in Strictly um, so later on you might hear um, my lovely partner Kai Woodrington uh, because we were actually training doing that bloom in Charleston uh, when we were speaking to Susanna so just in case you're thinking have we entered a time warp here Um so, Karen, you know, obviously, I'm going back to that conversation mm. that we had when I first told you that I was going to be in Strictly, which is not that long ago. And you said, oh, what if you're voted out I, first? Jesus, I did not ever believe, honest <laughs> to God, my hand on heart. And I would never have said that because I would I have was put thinking money it. on it. I know that. But if you think you're right, well, I actually thought I was right. I can't even say your name. Kay, there is no way I thought you would be out. And there's no way now that you should have gone out. You do oh. not deserve to. I know that you've probably God. gone over this, no, over this, no. I was gutted. I was gutted for you. And you did not deserve to go out. And um, oh, somebody's got to go. I deserve bleep, as much as bleep. anyone. Craig, I'm sorry, but I think I'm he sorry. influenced it. No, I know I should no, be don't saying that. Say that. But you know what? You did not deserve it. I mean, I think the only thing, the only saving grace that's come out of that is that you didn't fall more heavily in love with Kai. <laughs> because you He's can see how it happens. 27. I know that. Don't be look ridiculous. At, she looks a little bit older. <laughs> certainly older, but that it doesn't, doesn't look matter. 57, that's for sure. But you know what? You His lovely girlfriend, Nadia. You can see how you lean no. on them emotionally and physically, or physically and emotionally. Okay, it would have happened. But he listen, is, why? You got the best one. You got the best one. Oh, I did get the best no, one. No, I know that. But, you know, it's interesting that because initially when I was paired with Kai and obviously his age and everything, not that I was worried about any Strictly curses, but I thought, oh, God, is this just going to look terrible? I mean, grab a granny and all that stuff that I keep saying, which I'm going to stop oh, saying. Good, I'm glad I am because I was just saying. about to say that. I am going to stop saying. Good, good. Um, but actually it fades away so quickly because mm. when you're actually into it, it is a professional relationship. Um, thankfully, it became a friendship. He oh, was you could very tell. easy to to be with. I, I really enjoyed his company. Um, but you really are there to be a, to do a job. Yeah. Um, and so the awkwardness that I initially had of you know, God, I'm fifty nine, he's twenty seven. It completely just it just disappeared because a he is 
a very mature guy. Yeah. Um, he's been competing at the very highest level, at world level, since he was 12. Yeah. So he's not like a normal 27-year-old. Yeah. You know, he's dedicated his life yes. to dance. I mean, the hours and hours and months and years of, of training. And, and he sacrificed a lot, you know. Yeah, when other kids through their teenage years would have been going out, getting bloater or whatever, he wasn't. So He's tall. I think you've got a problem here. You're turning into Mrs. Robinson. I'm trying to tell you it's a profession. <laughs> I know that. But do you know what? If you're going out with somebody, eh, not going out with somebody, sorry. <laughs> That's a Freudian slip. If you were dancing with somebody that was four inches smaller than you, you might not have had the same. I just think, you know, just it was lovely. Um, I don't know. You just held it well. It was, no, it was lovely. I tell you what was lovely. Um, I mean, Ian, my Ian, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we're out together and he walks through a door he'll walk through first and it'll slam in my face um, the idea of him taking my bag or opening oh. a door for me or opening the car door you know he, gone with it he would look at me years ago he never no he never did it oh, right he's right. just not one well of you might have accused him of being sexist so indeed yeah I take, yep. That, take yep. that on the chin whereas Kai I walked everywhere on his arm. You know, whenever, I, you know, he just put his arm out. Oh. And at first I thought, this is a bit strange. I, I felt like he was my carer. I thought he was going to take me for a bed bath or something. Um, <laughs> but then I, it became quite natural and it was, God, it was so nice because you were so nervous so much of the time. And if he took your hand or took oh. your arm, it was just a real comfort. But how safe. But yeah, but, you know, 100%. That was it. Um, but yeah, just it was early days. But yeah, I'm joking. Oh, gosh. Um, but just just going back to, you know, me saying, oh, God, what you do if I'm the first one out? And yes, there I am. And you'd said, oh, no, you won't be. And I will. And you did say it will be embarrassing. OK. Should I be embarrassed? No. I. Oh, my God. And I'm mortified for no, even saying be. that. I did feel embarrassed. I truly. Oh, God, well, as you say, somebody's got to be first. You have nothing to be embarrassed about. You performed really well and it went against you for, I would say, my personal no, reasons. Right, right, right. But do you know what? You did not deserve to go out and I was raging. Oh, are you? Yes. Can you tell? <laughs> it's so unfair. It's so but blinking it's not unfair. unfair. It's a television programme. It's not unfair. You do you have... mean it's like entertainment? Yeah. Well, have... I didn't find it very entertaining. Well, and any of my friends all agreed with me. You have to be. You have to be prepared for the outcome. I mean, you know, I have to say it was... Oh, did you have wee face that cracked as well? Oh, did it? Uh, I was trying not to. No, well, maybe it's only because I know you. But when... Oh, was I not a brave soldier? How hard is it to smile and then... I didn't see a quivering bottom lip, but it was oh, just, no. maybe I just wanted to put, okay, I just, it was horrible. It was horrible. Well, it would be horrible for anyone. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say the production team are amazing. I absolutely don't regret it for a second. Mm-hmm. I met so many wonderful people. I learned so much about myself. You'll be glad to oh, know good things. I learned a lot from Kai. He's 30 odd years younger than me. And, you know, he could teach me a few things about self-belief and, you know, yes. not always putting yourself down. So there's so many positives. I also know that if I wanted to, I could learn to dance. So I'm never going to say again, I cannot dance because there's no reason that's excellent. that I can't dance. That's so refreshing to hear. But the experience, obviously, of standing there waiting for a red light to shine on you or not shine on you is is punishing. Horrific. I mean, it was really, it is really psychologically challenging because in that moment, 
that you're waiting and then it's and in the drop zone, pacing the dance off, king cut. And well, you know what I'm like for negativity. Immediately it was, oh my God, everybody hates me. I was rubbish. Everybody hates me. And my brain was just flooded with all of that negativity. And he's standing beside me saying, it's all right, come on, come on. It's all right, don't worry. We're going to go into the dance-off. We're going to win it. Don't you worry. It's fine. He was immediately like that. God bless him. Um, but, you know, having, like, you start at eight in the morning. I can't even remember what time of night this was. Mm -hmm. It was, like, oh, really late. Um, and having got your adrenaline up to do the dance, mm -hmm. which was very nerve-wracking after the first week of the tango where I'd made a mistake and everything. I can't even begin to imagine. Um, your adrenaline just crashes to the floor. Mm. The negativity seeps ah. in. And you think, oh, my God, I've got to do this again. Okay. And I was desperately trying to... Like, get my adrenaline up. I thought, what do I do? Do I have two double espressos? Do I have a Red Bull? Do I, you know, do I have a gin? Yeah, no, I, exactly. You know, and I was, and Kai's got me sort of like holding my shoulders saying, come on, come on, we can do this, you know, don't worry. And I was really, really wanted to do it. I really wanted to do it. I was going to try, but, I, you know, my nerves got the butter of me. And, and I can remember exactly the minute I blanked, the second I blanked, mm -hmm. It's not that I forgot the steps because I know those steps. Mm -hmm. Like I actually found remembering the routines, both routines, not that difficult. God. Interestingly. So it was down to nerves. It was nerves. I couldn't face the pressure of the situation and I kind of reflected on why, which is like if, if I muck up in this podcast or if I muck up on live television talking, I've got a plan B, C, D, E, F mm. to cover up and move on. Whereas in that, because mm. I have zero performance experience, zero dance experience, it, I put a footstep wrong and I don't know how to recover it. Um, so you don't have anything to fall back on. So I think that's probably where the pressure comes in on top of tiredness, on top of nerves. Mm -hmm. And when Craig said it was underwhelming, um, mm. I I was standing there thinking, oh, I don't know. I've I've had my legs in the air. I've I've done a three sixty. Um, I've done these lifts. I genuinely don't know what, more what you can... to bring you. Yeah. Because because I'm not a, a stage yeah. performer. And yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. A, a good stage performer would have been able to take that up a hundred levels, and and I totally know that. But I don't. I don't have that. I thought, right, I'm grinning like an idiot. I'm going as fast as I can. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this. Head. I I just didn't have it in me. And I, I think I knew I didn't have it in me. Um, mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So for that reason, I don't think it was the wrong decision that I was booted out. I mean, Matt was just as nervous as well, I was. Well, I hear what you're saying. You know. Um, I don't agree with you, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> can but, I ask you, sorry, what you say? Well, the one thing I was going to say is that um, and I haven't said this anywhere else, but and again, I'm not bleating. This is just my own observation. Um, on the Thursday, I was in quite a good mood. I had the, you know, I had the routine in my head. It was enormous fun that week. We were around the set. I love spending time with these young dancers, uh, you know, and all the people, the wardrobe people, the makeup people and everything. I was having such a good time. And I thought, hey, do you know what? I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to be fine. Um and then somebody sent me uh, a newspaper column in which which oh, was very, don't mention I'm not going to mention it, but do you know what? I think I know 
What? Which, the... which was so scathing. Um, now, of course, everyone has the right to write whatever they want and publish their views. I have no issue with that. I'd take that. But I let it get in my head. Well, I would ask you who sent that to you as well. I don't want an answer, but whoever sent that to you wasn't exactly... I know, but I let it get in my head and I take responsibility for that because I deliberately stayed off social media because I knew there would yeah. be rubbish out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but this just pinged in and it got through my defences. And for 12 hours... Ah. I just had it going around my head. Okay. I thought, God, they're right. No, but you know, but but yes, that, but I that know. Is, it's about you. I know, I know, I know. But that's maybe the lesson that I've learned, which is is, is just to not allow that to come in and and sabotage you. And I think that's what I want to ask as well. When you're on a program like this, you know, is there any support in terms of? How to eat, what to eat, yeah. how to sleep, yeah. what to sleep. They're how brilliant. to calm your nerves. No, they are brilliant, honestly. What, did they do anything on your nerves? Um, no, but if I had said, look, I really need something to help Christ, me. I wish you had. Yeah. and I, yeah. Well, I was too But no, I couldn't criticise the production team. Honestly, they will help you with anything. You have physio, um, whenever you need it. I'm talking about your mind. No, no, and they have a counsellor on tap. If you need it, any time you want to speak to somebody. No, they, they do. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the number of people since uh, I've come out who said, oh, how's your muscles? How's your legs been? You know, it wasn't a, f it was a physical challenge, but it was a much, much more a psychological challenge for me doing Strictly. God, that's interesting because I thought you would really feel it in your muscles. And, yeah. uh, and obviously you did, but it just I'm listening to what you're saying, more of a psychological. Yeah. Just I mean, hard, hard just gig. up and down and up Christ. and down in terms of your emotions. Um, but I don't regret it. I'm so pleased to hear that. I do not I am regret so it. pleased to hear that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what an experience. And as you said, the whole family, you know, you said that, I think, in the beginning, or you said it on one of your, your posts, that it's a real family thing. You'd heard about it, and actually it's true. Oh, You've yeah. made all these friends. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, be realistic. Are you going to be lifetime friends? Are you going to be going on a holiday together? You know, probably not. But you've shared something I... really special, and... So that kind of connection will always be there? Yeah, I think that's what I mean. They were there at the time. Yeah. Everyone's going through the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's that common experience that is just, um, unless you've been in it, you can't really describe it to other people. So, um, yeah. yes, it was a shorter adventure than I would like it to have been, but it was still a really, really good one. And, and I did, you'll be glad to know, learn things. <laughs> Well, look forward to hearing about those things in the coming weeks. But listen, can I can I read a couple of emails that have come oh, in? Yeah, no, no, they're they're very they're very complimentary. There's one here from Jeanette Cunningham, and uh, she's hi hi Kaycan. Just wanted to say um, how much I love your podcast. Can't wait for a Friday to listen to them. Kay, I have to say, don't you dare beat yourself up about being the first to be voted <laughs> off because we all know there were a couple. Who, oh, I'm with you, Jeanette. So shut up, Kay. There were a couple who should have went before you I'm liking what you're seeing Jeanette have you selected however, these no 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 however that wasn't to be so just congratulate this is the important thing congratulate yourself on what you did achieve and who knows if you had got to go further you may well it, you may have been the one collecting the glitter ball that's lovely Jeanette mm -hmm. she says I'm 64 and there's no way I could have done what you did so good on you girl 
Tibo's oh, podcast coming you. and best wishes to you both. Um, this is from Karen, uh, not me. Uh, firstly, I just want to say how much I love listening to podcasts on my cycle to work on a weekly basis. The period gels so well together and you're both so comical. Uh, I want also want to say a massive congratulations to you, Keon Strictly. I echo what many people have said to you on your post on Instagram, that you went far Far too early. <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back. For someone who's never danced before, you were absolutely fantastic and your drive and determination to learn was admirable. And she adds, even my six-year-old turned around and said, that lady that sits with the other ladies in a row is really good. What's so you obviously watch as you say, you on this woman? Oh my God, that lady who uh, sits in a row with other Doesn't ladies. know your name, but knows who you are. And she says, and I for one know that kids usually tell the truth. So there you are, Kay. Uh, and the real, she adds, um, the relationship you had with Kai looks great fun. And it looks like you have a friend for life there, which is one major positive to come out of the show as well. Uh, be proud of yourself and keep being you. You're a great entertainer Ooh. and extremely funny. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness all the best um, thank you Karen for well, that, that is thank you Jeanette as very well very kind Karen and Jeanette and there's the other thing that I'm going to learn to do is, and there's take a compliment because the yes. temptation to go oh don't be silly no I'm I not know. It that's huge. a Scottish thing I think do you think as we'll talk well. about that another day yeah that's a big thing it is a big thing yeah, yeah. And, and probably mm. yeah anyway we're, we're going to now um, play the interview that we uh, did with Susanna Constantine, which I absolutely loved. She was so open and and refreshing, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, she spoke, speaks a little bit about her Strictly experience, but I mean, the major part of it is, is about an incredible life mm. and the whole question of what is privilege. Gosh. And it certainly yeah. changed what I was thinking. About is it a bonus? It. Uh-uh. We'll find out. Here we go. And good morning, Susanna. Good morning, Kay and Carol. Good morning. Oh. You've kind of got a sense of us now, Susanna. Where do you fall between us in terms of attitude to aging? It's, I mean, I, to be honest, I don't really think about it too much, but my body does. My body thinks about it all the time. But I, I think I fall somewhere between the two of you. Yeah, and I'm not being diplomatic at all, but mm, I think it's be diplomatic. Know, yeah, my body says I'm 60, and my brain doesn't, and I think that's quite common amongst us ladies. Yeah, and how does that manifest itself then? Well, I was just I'm waking up this morning, and I got up this morning, and we have some steps going down to our bathroom. It wasn't it wasn't a struggle, but it wasn't like you know my limbs weren't properly oiled. It was a bit stiff. And yeah. so I do find that. I do I do find I'm a bit stiff in the morning. Um, and that's I just, find myself being careful coming out of the shower. Yeah, I've well, never get, ever did that before. What about getting out of the bath? I mean, I <laughs> getting out of the bath is like, you know, it's I, I need a crane now to get me out of the bath. <laughs> I'm thinking, I've been e- Googling, can I, you know, can you buy candles to poke yourself out? With that you can attach to the bath because I'm using the taps and I know they're going to come flying off the taps because I'm the weight of me pulling myself out is really hard. God, I would ditch. Well, I have ditched the bath actually. I ditched the bath last Karen year. Karen has got a bath with a little door in it. Have you seen them? <laughs> you have not. How's that possible? She's such a witch. You what? 
She's such How a is that possible? No, it's not. And I don't. I don't. I don't. Just don't believe a word she says, right? Nothing that comes out of her mouth, oh, i.e. Kay's mouth, is true. I um, believe everything Kay says. Sorry. I, I ditched no. the bath this year. Actually, it was this year I ditched it and, and uh, got a, a wet room instead. And you know what? And that is looking to the future. It's dreadful to say that. I yeah. never, I don't like a bath. I just never used one. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going for this. Mm, yeah, but I listen, there's a difference between getting a wet room installed because you think it's cool and trendy and getting one because you think, oh, well, you never know. It might be come a time. And it know. was the cool and trendy for Miki. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, Susanna, it's a really exciting yes. day for you because your book is out in hardback, ready for absolutely nothing. You, you've written a number of books, two novels, other mm. books, of course, with Trini and Susanna. But, you know, to write your memoir is, is a big one or an autobiography. Um, what prompted you? Well, it's, do you know what? It's something I, I never thought I would stoop so low as to do. I've bought, because I've been asked over the years, write one, write one. And I was like, never in a million years. And then um, during lockdown, I went public about being an alcoholic. And um, I had from that quite a few publishers got in touch with me and said, would you write your journey to sobriety. And to be honest, I didn't really think I was far enough into my sobriety, although I am uh, nearly 10 years sober now, to do that justice. And there were a lot of other people who'd written about it, who had done it brilliantly. So, but it did get me thinking. And I started thinking about, okay, could I have avoided being an alcoholic? Could I have avoided? So I started looking back at my life and I was amazed. I, I, all these memories came back and I was like, Jesus, did I do that? Did I meet these people? That's completely bonkers. And, um, when I initially started writing it, I thought a lot of it would be about Trini and I and our what not to wear years and, you know, traveling the world and stuff. But actually what I found was that was the least interesting part of my life. So poor old Trintron hardly gets a mention, but I still love her dearly, dearly, dearly. And she's still one of my closest, closest friends. So that's why. What did you discover then was the most uh, interesting thing about your life? Well, I think that, so originally it was, well, my life has been like Forrest Gump's. So originally I was going to call it girl at the back of the room because that's how I kind of, you know, I witnessed all these incredible things and met some really extraordinary people, but I was never at the forefront. Well, I always think I was never in the forefront. I was always in the background. So I was going to call it uh, girl at the back of the room. And when I finished the, the book, I realized that, my upbringing had been tailored only towards getting married. That was all my parents expected of me. And I remember so clearly my dad saying to me when I could, I was thinking about going to university and he said to me, oh, darling, don't be silly. You know, you'll be much better off learning how to make a good beef Wellington. And that's how it was. So I was completely ill-prepared for adult life. And, um, kind of, you know, I didn't rebel as such, but my rebellion came in the form of, okay, sod you all. I'm going to go out and work and make my own money. And that's Mm. what I did. I mean, I mean, I have read the book and I I really Mm. did enjoy it. Um, And it was so interesting for me. And I hope I'm going to phrase this rightly. I'm really not trying to cause offence, but I mean, Karen and I are both working class Scottish, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my mum was very much, she, not that she wasn't interested in me getting married or not getting married. She wanted me Mm. to go to university and do something because 
I guess we came from a class, if you call it that, that you had to try and better yourself. Yeah. Whereas you came from a very different background. Um, yeah. And if I had met you, as me being honest, I was thinking as I was reading, if I'd met you at 21, yeah. I would have been um, intimidated by you. I would have felt inferior to you. Um, you know, you would have had me all in a sort of spin. At this age, reading your book, I thought... And please don't think I've been insulting to your... Oh, no, don't be silly. It's fine to take anything. I'm glad I had my working class mum and dad, you know, who were there cheering me on at the sidelines at every available opportunity, because you didn't. And that whole idea of privilege, Mm. I don't think you were privileged. You you know what? You're so right. I mean, I was, you know, there's, I own the fact I was privileged in monetary terms. Mm. You know, I didn't want for anything. I was, you know, we were living in an amazing house. We were surrounded by Aristos. It was from the out to the outside world. It was privileged. And um, but you're right. You are right. It's it's not it's, I would rather have had working, come from a working class background where my parents were, ch- were championing. And, you know, my, my parents, they not only paid for people to look after me, and it's not a misery memoir at no, all. But, but it's interesting. But, yeah, but I, they paid for people to not only work, to look after me and my sister, but to love us too. And I had, you know, that in the form of Mrs. A, who's from Glasgow, was from Glasgow. She died sadly last, last it's year. It's so funny that, you know, that was my mum's nickname all her life. Was it? Without Mrs. A, I think I would be a basket case. She, you know, I, I, it's a terrible thing to say, but I loved her more than my parents. And because um, she was there, she was constant and um, she was such a fabulous, down to earth, wonderful, wonderful woman. And she, to everybody, to all the kind of people. So we live very close to Beaver Castle, the Duke and Duchess of Rutland. And she was like the kind of North Star that people gravitated to when they were feeling vulnerable or upset. People would come to Mrs. A and but I had her at home all the time and I felt so proud of that. Um, and then, you know, I was talking, it's like um, Elton dropping a name, but Elton John is a very dear friend and he read the book. And one of the things he said was like, I didn't know about your background, although we've known each other for nearly 40 years. He said, I just didn't know. And it's so interesting that we kind of grew up in a similar way. You know, he was from Pinner and he kind of got that, that the, we both had a drive to work, to be successful, to gain respect, but for very different reasons, from very different backgrounds. And I consider myself almost, and probably, you know, you're going to get loads of comments telling me I complete twat when I say this, but I, I, I consider myself working class because I've had to work and I've always worked. Mm. What was your relationship with your mum then? I love my mum dearly. I worship my mum. And she was severely bipolar. Um, And she was an amazing woman, Kay. She was so loving and so... She didn't judge anyone. You know, it didn't matter who you were, where you came from. She treated everybody exactly the same. She was vulnerable, but she was gentle and but she had this disorder and and you know it took me many years to work out that the two were very different so there's the illness and then there's my mother and they're two very separate things and 
Um, you know, I was lucky to have the first few years of her being, uh, you know, not too bad and to have received her love and, uh, nurturing, but yeah, no, it was, it it was much worse for her, I believe than it was for me or my sister. And how much did you understand about her illness as you were growing up? You know, how was it handled within the family? Uh, it was ignored. You know, my father was in complete denial and I didn't really, I thought all mothers were like my mum. And it, 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 I didn't kind of really, subconsciously I knew because I was her kind of, when I went to boarding school, I was incredibly homesick and anxious. And I think that came, it was like separation anxiety because subconsciously I knew she was ill, but Consciously, I just thought, you know, I didn't even consider it. And it didn't take until going to stay with a a friend of mine when I was in my 20s and her mom waking me up in the morning with a cup of tea. My mother had never done anything like that. And I thought, my God, this is so amazing. It was like the most wonderful thing anyone had done for me. Um, But, you know, I I choose to look at my mom's illness in a positive way. And she taught me many things. She taught me, like I said, not to judge anyone, not to treat, think I'm better than anyone else because I'm absolutely not. And to live for the moment because I all I had as a child was today. So if she was well, I would relish that. I would live every second, um, you know, in her her aura of being this wonderful woman. And then if she was ill, uh, if she was on a high or a low, I coped and I did it, but I I never dared to look forward to the next day because I didn't know how it was going to be. So I now live in the present. I don't look back at all. And I haven't until writing this book. And that's why writing this book has been such a surprise. It's going to be a surprise for readers, but it's also a massive surprise to me as well. Can I ask where your dad was in all of this? I mean, how did were you able to speak with him about your mum? No, my my father was was in denial right up till the day he died, pretty much. Um, because my mum to him was she was a trophy and um he was a collector of beautiful things, and my mother was his greatest acquisition. And that's kind of how it was. He was a he was a wonderful man. He was very artistic. He was very funny. He was supremely bright. And, you know, I, both my sister and I worshipped him a little bit. But the, the lovely thing was, is when he died, he died very suddenly of an aneurysm. And um, my sister and I were going through all his things. And under his bed, I found a box where he collected every single cutting, every article I'd written, every newspaper cutting under the bed. And, you know, that's when I knew he was proud. And he was, you know, he was never unkind. He was never, he was just emotionally distant, like so many men of his generation were. So that thing when he said to you, don't bother with university, darling, Mm. it wasn't that he didn't think you were capable or or anything like that, but it just not, wasn't the done thing, I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't. And and, and people of that generation didn't, and, and coming from, my father's mother's background, the the women didn't work, but it's weird because my father, he wasn't 
I mean, yes, the family line went back a long way, as he kept saying, but he was part of the mercantile class. You know, he was a businessman and he was a very successful businessman. So why he never, you know, it's he never translated that to my sister and I. He missed a trick there. Um, but, yeah, it just wasn't the done thing for a woman to work. You could do volunteering. So it's like my mum was had retired and was 60 from... You know, the age of twenty-five. Mm. Had it been, yeah. had you been a boy, presumably it would have been very different. Yeah, it would have been very different. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, as you became a young adult, then how did you process all of this? How did you move forward? Uh, I just kind of. Um, it was a bit. You know, it sounds ridiculous. Um, and I, I feel it's ridiculous, but I really didn't have an opinion on my of my own. I did not, you know, I look at my children now and they are so opinionated and have been from a very young age. We, we will sit down, at, you know, dinner and we will argue and debate and they have an opinion. I was never like that. And I think it actually took me meeting princess margaret she was so influential in encouraging me to become my own person to have opinions and not be afraid to have opinions and to stand by them and i think that's when i kind of learned to be more outspoken Mm. I mean, you know, as I say, I read the book and obviously Princess mm. Margaret's son was David Lindley and, and you were with him, I don't know, six or seven years. And yeah, um, you were very, I mean, I remember it very well. We're kind of the same age that you were always in the press and, you know, you were going to get married. You were going to get married. That's what mm. everyone assumed. Um, clearly that didn't come to pass. But reading the book, it almost felt to me as if your relationship with Princess Margaret was as significant as your relationship with David Lindley. It was. Son. It really was um, because she she came into my life well with David, who, you know, we were mad about each other. It was like both our first big love. And we, you know, we grew up together. We were children when we met. You know, you think you're an adult at the age of 21, but you're not. And, and it's like when you have I think a lot of people will identify with this is that your first boyfriend or your first partner you kind of it's your you're leaving the nest of your own home but you're also finding another one to rest your head and to feel the safety and i found that with princess margaret she made me feel incredibly safe um and you know the thing that i found when i got engaged to steen my husband of 27 years very proud of that um she got i can't remember how it came about but i got an we got an invitation saying Princess Margaret would like to give you dinner and to celebrate your engagement. And I hadn't spoken to her. I'd never spoke to her on the phone. I hadn't spoken to her for like three years or something or seen her or maybe five years. And it's like, I mean, what mother of your ex-boyfriend would have the generosity of spirit to do that? I mean, it was quite amazing. And that was the sense of loyalty we we had for each other. And um, she was hilarious and she was she wasn't embarrassed by anything. She was so practical. She was the kind of person we'd like to be marooned with on a desert island, uh, but she'd probably eat you before you ate her. Um, <laughs> but she was just she was she was a really yeah, really extraordinary person. And I loved her so dearly. 
very different from the woman that was portrayed in the, in the, in the press, very different yeah. from the woman that I would have thought she had been. Did that frustrate her? I don't think she really, no, I don't think she minded because she was so true to herself. And yes, she could be difficult, but it was, she had a kind of sommelier's nose for sycophants and she could tell if someone wanted something from her and those people, you know, she would cut them down with a saber. But if she saw that you were someone who had nothing to gain from being, you know, being her friend or being in her company, she was completely different. And I think... I would imagine that comes down to trust. You know, it's trusting mm. people that they've got nothing to gain from you. And then you can you can be yourself. And I think we all feel that, you know. Mm. And it has been reported in the press that she's prepared to be quite lavatorial. Oh, yes. No, she, <laughs> she came to my aid on two occasions. Um, once when in Mustique, when I basically, I... I mean, this is so gross, but it is, it's an indication of <laughs> her resourcefulness. But I, I fainted and shat and, shat and peed myself. <laughs> and it was at this amazing, the Peacock Ball, which Colin Tennant and Angela and Connor gave us for Colin's 60th birthday. And um, Jerry Hall family and Princess Margaret came and the two of them m- mopped me up kind of bathed me down and you know I was then kind of pushed back out into the spray and then another time again lavatorial I'd gone to the loo to do a number two at um the Greenwich Naval College because we'd done this tour around London which she loved to do every year there'd be like a tour around London to go and see somewhere which you'd normally have to pay to get into and it was shut down for her and um at lunch I had to go to the loo to do a number two anyway I was gone too long for her liking clearly she thought I was being incredibly rude and she came to find me and I heard this voice Susanna and I was like yes ma'am and she kind of kicked the door open and I was sitting on the loo kind of with my pants down my around my ankles I wasn't embarrassed at all and I just said to her ma'am it won't go down (laughs) and she looked at me and she said go and get me a knife And so off I went back into the dining room and I got enough and I found this really gorgeous kind of um, ivory handled cake slice. Ah. I thought, oh, that's rather nice. I went back like the good foot soldier. I went back and I gave it to her and she turned around and there was this kind of chop, 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 chop. Pulled the, pulled the, um, the, you know, flushed the loo, handed me back the knife, which I then went to go and wash. Mm -hmm. Tucked it up my sleeve and I've still got that lovely ivory handle oh silver cake slice. Do you know, I'm so glad it didn't go back in the drawer. <laughs> you I know, can you imagine? But that just showed her oh resourcefulness. She wasn't God. embarrassed by anything. And I think I've learned that too. It's like these, these stories just, you know, they're a wonderful um, you know, memory tapestry, if you like, or patchwork, yeah. all these different things, they happened. I'm not, I'm not going to deny something like how that happened. And I, yeah. I feel about myself. I have, I, I have no shame about even the, you know, the really truly embarrassing things I've done in my life. Um, and the books very much, you know, are, well, the like thing is, that. You know, they're human stories, aren't they? And when you take away class and status and money and, you know, all the other kind of glittery things that mm. we tend to get fixated on that, you know, stories that that happened in our household, funnily enough, a very similar story. I mean, we don't have to get down to the absolute details, but you know, these are just human experiences, aren't they? 
and you know the, the they hold us together. Absolutely, and you know, I open I open the book with um, I'd been you know bonking Dolph Lundgren. Just the name well done. is hilarious. Well done. <laughs> it's hilarious in itself, but. You know, it's that thing of having a fling with someone. So basically giving a guy a blowjob and him not recognizing you 10 years later it just happened to be that it was Dolph Lundgren. How many of us have done that? You know, had a one night stand with someone or and they've not recognized you a few years later. You know, most of us, if they care to admit it, have been through that too. Well, get Karen on that subject, Susanna. <laughs> and you know, there's not enough time in the day. Not yeah. the day. <laughs> just not this week. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking though, I mean, given that your upbringing was geared towards marrying well and without being, you know, unkind, you nearly married Princess Margaret's son. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the relationship didn't work out. Did that feel like a failure, given that somewhere in your head you must have thought, my God, I've nearly got the top prize and I've lost mm, it? No, it didn't, because I, you know, what we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, you you I didn't you when you're with someone it doesn't matter who they are you are you have a relationship and I was gutted because I was you know madly in love with him and the bottom line was that he didn't want to marry me you know it wasn't anything else so it wasn't that David Lindley didn't want to marry me and the son of Princess Margaret it was just my boyfriend didn't want to marry me so that that was you know, it was just good old fashioned heartbreak. Um, and, you know, you kind of move on, get over it. And, you know, looking back, I think if, it, if you know, I'm still very good friends with David and, and I have so much respect for him and what he's done with his life and his business. And, you know, he's supremely talented. And um, but I think that situation probably would have suffocated me. I wouldn't be here talking about blowjobs, for example. Probably not, I don't know. Um, so the Trini and Susanna years, how did they come about? Um, by pure accident, like most of my life, uh, chance, luck. Um, I was offered a, a column in the Daily Telegraph because I've been writing for them previously. And, and at that time, um, a friend introduced us and uh, we started our page um, ready to shop, which was portraying fashion. We wore the clothes and it was real fashion for real women. And then that's where it started. We had that for six years and then we started seven years and we started doing a bit of television and then we raised funds for a website. It was, you know, part of the, the, um, internet boom. And then we were a casualty of the internet boom and, um, we were picked up by the BBC and Mm. off we went and we became, you know, we were so, and still are, we're complete opposites, Trin and I, I mean, in every single way, I mean, down to the most finite detail, we are opposites, but together we are, you know, the perfect marriage. So I have my beloved husband, Steen, but I'm very fortunate to also have my other husband, who's Trini. And that relationship's as strong as ever, is it? As ever. Yeah. And I am, you know, her makeup and cosmetic range, I really do not give a shit about all of that. 
but my God, it's good. And I'm not, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't be giving, I'm not giving her a free, free plug, but I am such a cynic when it comes to cosmetic and beauty products, but her stuff is amazing. And only Trini could have done that. You know, she's a remarkable human being, but she's also incredibly loyal, but uh, supremely bright, supremely driven. And yeah, I'm in awe of her. How often well, do you see she's her? driven. Sorry, Karen, I'm just because she is yeah. driven. But so what drives you now then, Susanna? My family. I'm a mother and a housewife. You know, that's what drives me. And I'm really, you know, and yes, I have my writing, which I love because I love the isolation of it. I love the solitude of it. You know, I'm I'm not someone who's happy in crowds. And um, I'm also fundamentally quite lazy. Um, and I don't have that drive, you know, what drives me is the, my children being happy, you know, I'm codependent with my husband. If he's happy, I'm happy. And just kind of being, it sounds so crass, but, you know, being in the countryside, being in nature, watching the world change around me and following my curiosities, you know, I don't have to be one track mind. I can go off and, you know, I feel there's a greater, my life has a greater sense of freedom, which I choose. Whereas Trin, she's so focused on her business, but that's what she wants. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I like the freedom and she likes the focus. Mm. Karen, sorry, what were you going to say? No idea. My memory feels. Oh, <laughs> oh my um, God, here we go. Join the club. No. You're living up to type though. You're living up to type. Honest to God. So, oh, I know what I was going to say. Oh, go, 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 go. How often do you see Trini? When was the last time you saw her? Um, well, we speak to each other probably two or three times a week. We don't. Oh, wow. I'm seeing her next week. We're having dinner together next week. Um, so we see each other as much as we can, but she's in London. I'm here. I don't really like going up to London very much anymore. Um, but so not as much as we'd like, but we speak all the time. And when we see each other, it's just like, you know. I was going to ask, how does she deal with the countryside? Um, oh, she's great. Oh, that's good. She's great. Absolutely great. Um, but I do remember one time they, um, when um, Johnny, her former husband, was alive, they came down to Cornwall with us. <laughs> we had this little boat and we went, we were on an estuary there and we went to the pub and it started pissing with rain. And good old Trin, she'd had a blow dry. It was not good. So she literally took one of those umbrellas from the pub, just took it. And was in the boat with this huge kind of parasol <laughs> above her to keep her hair dry. That's resourcefulness too. <laughs> so when we started to talk, you were saying that through the process of, of writing the book, you were sort of examining your relationship with alcohol. Mm. Um, when did you become aware that that was not a, a healthy relationship? I would say it's probably in about 2000. 2008 um and it was basically when yeah it was it probably about 16 years ago 15 16 years ago and then my mum died and and then trini and our career nosedived and i think that was something that didn't help because it was you know we both were our identities were so closely knitted that suddenly she was just Trini and I was just Susanna. And that was, that was 
really tough. I, it was, we were so used to doing everything together. Um, and then just slowly, slowly it and insidiously alcohol, you know, I love drinking and, but it started to tap to take its control and to the point where I didn't have power over alcohol, alcohol had power over me. I noticed that you didn't have a drink till after six o'clock at night. Is that almost mm. yourself telling you, well, it's still okay because it's not through the exactly day? Exactly right, Karen. That's exactly what it was. So, you know, I was functioning and uh, highly functioning. I was holding down a career. I was, you know, I had my home and three children who needed me. And every, I, I pissed everything up the wall apart from my children they were always I don't thank God you know my children were always safe and so that was always a priority for me um and you know I don't think my career was not affected by my drinking but it was just exhausting putting on this persona of pretending everything was okay when actually you know I was dying inside and so alone and which I, you know, I, I know going to AA, it's a, a lot of people identify with that. And then you think, oh, well, my alcoholism, you know, my drinking is special and different. It's not. Mm. And it's an illness, you know, it's not like we are someone, we're bad people trying to be good. It's we are ill people who are trying to get well, because it is a mental disorder. It's a disease and it's a deadly disease. Mm. Was there any part of you, and I'm only saying this from a couple of friends of mine whose parents mm. um, had issues with alcohol and, and they then developed issues with alcohol, they began mm. to think, oh, there's an inevitability to this. You know, my mum or dad was like this. This is this is kind of my destiny. Did that ever enter your head? No, God, no. I mean, you know, my mum was an alcoholic and, I, I, you know, one of the things I questioned was, was she self-medicating because of her bipolar disorder? But my grandmother was an alcoholic too. And I never felt, so I was like, I remember, you know, when my mum was, was, you know, drinking heavily, always secretly, um, I was like, I am never, ever going to be like you, ever. You know, wind the movie forward, there I was. Hmm. What, what was your light bulb moment then to, to try and climb out of this? Uh, my light bulb moment, there were, there were a few, but my real rock bottom was when I blacked out and fell on um, a tarmac driveway and peed my trousers and um, broke two transverse processes in my back. And I, it was, we were in Cornwall again and my husband and my brother-in-law kind of carried me out to bed. And I remember waking up the next morning thinking, I, I'm, you know, I just want to die. That's not like, oh, I feel so awful. I want to die. I wanted to die. And, and I, and the shame and the guilt and, and the fear, I was terrified, but I went downstairs, you know, I'd humiliated myself so badly. It doesn't get more degrading than that. And um, my kids and Steam were, uh, you know, having breakfast and I went down and I said, listen, I need to talk to you. And I said, I'm really sorry about what happened last night. Um, I am an alcoholic and I've been drinking 
much more than any of you know. I've been drinking secretly and I need help. I'm going to get help. And then I asked all of them how it had affected them. And I don't know where I got the courage or the balls to do that, but um, in AA, you have your higher power and that can be God. For me, it's magpies, weirdly, it can be whatever. Something was, you know, looking looking out for me. And uh, so they all, you know, my two older children, they were like, oh, mom, no, you're fine. Or, you know, yeah, it can be a bit embarrassing sometimes. But my youngest daughter, Cece, just went very quiet. And because um, she's the one who was on the front line of it. And she said, yes, mom, you need to, you need help. And my husband very wisely said nothing because <laughs> he knew that the only person who could help me was myself. And, um, you know, I must, I put him, I must put him through hell, but he's been amazing, amazing, amazing. And I see why you're very proud of holding down a 27 year old, uh, 27 year uh, marriage. I mean, that must have put a hell of a strain on it. Yeah, it did. And I, you know, I've never, I haven't dared have that conversation. <laughs> I'm on step nine at the moment in my recovery, which is when you make amends and you write. And I'm the one I'm most frightened of writing is to my husband because I don't want to bring up, you know, the past. I'm frightened to bring up the past. I'm frightened to hear what he has to say. Um, because he is, you know, apart from my children, he's the most important person in my life. And his opinion of me means, means everything. And but he's still with you very much. Still. He's still with me. And, you know, that's so much, such a huge testament to him um, mm-hmm. and to our relationship and to our marriage and to our acceptance of each other, mm-hmm. you know, good and bad. Because when you did that big confession to the family, it would hardly have been a revelation to your husband, would it? Oh, God, no. And it wasn't to my children either, really. You know, they knew. But it was the first step in being honest and the first step Mm. of trying to get, you know, beginning to get their trust back. And why did you decide during lockdown to be publicly honest? Because you didn't need to volunteer that. No, well, I'd seen, you know, I'd read in the press and that so many women were um, suffering. And, you know, there were all these statistics coming out of women drinking alcoholically during lockdown and from my own experience I knew how isolating and lonely that was so I kind of it came out by accident in a podcast and then I thought okay well that's fine um you know I'm gonna talk about it so I did and I'm really glad I did it because um, so many people got in contact with me who were in a similar situation to me or knew someone who was the same. And I was able to to help them in you know some small way through my own own experience by, you know, showing my own and telling my own experience. Um, and that's, you know, something that as a recovering alcoholic is really important is to help others recover um, from alcoholism. And it's something that you give back. You know, I've received so much from that from other people. And, um, you know, I want to be able to give back because I, I identify. And, and it's like when you speak to another alcoholic and someone who's, you know, finally hit their rock bottom and needs help, it's like a reminder in them telling you their story, which they, you know, again, speaking for myself, you feel such shame about. It's like it helps me to, it reminds me of where I was and that in turn helps me stay sober. 
So going back to the old 60 thing, um, how do you feel about the years to come? Um, I don't really think about it. I, all I do, the one thing I do know I want to do is when I'm 70, re- remember I'm in AA, not NA. And what I want to do when I'm 70 is find the last opium, traditional opium den in the world, wherever they might, might be, and go and take opium. That's what I want to do, and I'm so looking forward to it. And um, I think it's just one day at a time, isn't it? It's one day at a time. Who knows what might happen tomorrow? And I think it's remaining curious is really important, whether you're working, whether you're volunteering, whatever you're doing is to remain curious and to keep pushing the envelope for yourself. And that's what I try and do. Do you think that attitude is grounding is grounded in being uh, an alcoholic in recovery? Because it's very th- much one day yeah. at a time, one step at a time, isn't it? I think it is, but I think I've always been like that. And I think, again, that stems back from my mother and her illness and not knowing what the next day was going to bring. Um, so, you know, I don't relish the idea of getting old. And I do wake up on many mornings thinking, you know, about death. <laughs> Um, and then I'll kind of, you know, put it behind and just do everything I can to, to be healthy, to stay fit. And I think we have to do that. It's a responsibility yeah. to ourselves and to the people who know and love us. Whereas if you look back again to our parents' generation, that was, they never did any of that. So we have the benefit of knowledge. And look, there's Kai is very handsome. Is Kai, do you see Kai? Yeah, he's very, very handsome. Hi, Kai. Very handsome. You're very lucky. Yes, I am very lucky. (laughs) You are very lucky. Yeah. Well, that Mm. takes us on to Strictly. I mean, you you said beforehand when we were chatting, oh, my God, did you wish you hadn't done it? or? Oh, no. You know what, Kay? I wish... I'd gone in with a different attitude and to be frank, I'd never really watched the show before doing it. And, um, that was a huge mistake because I went in taking myself far too freaking seriously. And, um, if I'd known, I would have dealt with it with a much lighter hand and a much, you know, joyous hand and just let myself go. I didn't, I I was like rigid the whole way through and I thought, well, if I'm not going to be the best, then I might as well give up. And so this key. Yeah, I really was not the best. And, you know, I mean, I probably did a service to everyone else, all the other contestants, because they'd be going to bed thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad as Susanna. At (laughs) least I'm not as bad as Susanna. But, um, you know, as you know, Kay, now, I mean, the professional dancers are the nicest, most mm. generous spirited people in the world. My God. I mean, they really are amazing. And their athleticism and their, their skill is so intoxicating. And the whole production is extraordinary. Extraordinary. It's kind of like an old MGM film yeah. set that just, you know, gets the water, gets sprinkled on it, and up it comes. And there is this amazing environment. So, and I made some very good friends who, yeah. you know, Stacy is really, really good friend of mine. And I've met made some, and Anton's a good friend. And so from, I loved everything about it, apart from the dancing. Which, okay. <laughs> how, how long ago, problem. how long ago was it, Susanna, since you did it? 
I think it was 2016 or 2018. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So does the music still trigger? I think I got post-traumatic stress disorder. From from doing that, and I had to look back at my my the show the two shows that I did because I was off first, and um, when I was writing um, absolute ready for absolutely nothing, and it was yeah, it brought everything back. I you know almost started hyperventilating. I had to watch it from you know behind yes. my hands. It was kind mm. of worse than watching The Exorcist or something, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Yeah, I, I can actually, as you're speaking, my panic is rising. So if you yeah. don't mind, so <laughs> listen, yeah, just before you go, we play what we call big six or bingo. So just random questions, which lovely to be able to randomly generate a number and then we'll let you go. I really, really enjoyed uh, speaking to you, Suzanne. And thanks so much for being so, so frank. Um, and, and the autobiography is ready for absolutely nothing out today. But um, Karen, give me a number. I will give you... 28. 28. Thank you. I have some questions. Um, ooh, do you have a secret ambition? To walk to the South Pole. Oh, oh wow. Mm. No but I think I'm past it now, but I've always wanted to do that. And I had the opportunity a few years ago with this amazing woman called Jan Meek, who um, was the oldest person to row across the Atlantic. She's got all these records. She's been to the North Pole and she was she was setting up this expedition, all female expedition, which was a kind of um, scientific exploration in how women's bodies were affected in extreme cold. And then sadly, it didn't happen. But now I think I'm past it. No, stop. You're not allowed to say that. If Deborah okay. even heard you say that, she'd be... She'd be furious. Furious. Uh, one more, Karen, please. One more coming up. Uh, 35. 35. Oh, well, it's... We've kind of covered it, but do you have a plan for the 60-plus years? Mm-hmm. Do you have a plan? I think the word plan is key there. Not really. I don't really have a... I don't... I've never had a plan. Never. Never. I've never had a plan. Never, never, never. And I think that is um, quite liberating. Mm. See, I was like the old Soviet Union. I always had a five year plan. Yeah. No, I I make lists. So of things I've got to do for the day and remember to do because, you know, (laughs) I have no no kind of immediate memory whatsoever. I'll make a list for the day, but future plans. mm -mm. No idea. Yeah, I always Let's see what happens. Saying I want to earn my the equivalent of my age, um, Good. like by the time of twenty five. So I wanted to earn twenty five thousand pounds by the time I was twenty five. That's so cool. That's amazing. I, I love that. I, I was obsessed with it. I managed it, and I was really pleased with myself. God, that's um, impressive. And then it didn't. You know, it didn't. What job were you doing? What did you do? I, w- I was a news reporter. Yeah, that's amazing, um, Kay. I mean, really. I but That's that was a lot the, of money then. God, I know. It was just the way my mind worked. I want to, I wanted that. I wanted yeah. that. Well, I guess my mum was like that. Yeah. You can't get away from your mums, can you? No. Uh-uh. No, you can. Well, for good and for ill. Yeah, I know. 
I know. But that's so, Susanna, thank you so much. Um, it, it's been really great, and, and best of luck uh, with thank the autobiography. You. Absolutely, it, thank you really so much. I enjoyed, and that. you good luck with Strictly. I'm going to be rooting for you. I'm going to be voting for you. Well, thank you. You are my it. soul sister on Strictly this year, <laughs> and you are amazing. And you're going to do brilliantly. <laughs> oh, carry it for you. Thank you. All right, All right my love. Lovely, Lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you. All the best both. with the book. Bye. Thank you so. Much. Bye. 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 Next week, a burst of summer returns with the second of our live podcast recorded at the Edinburgh Festival in Fringe with Clive Anderson and Jojo Sutherland. Keep those emails coming. Podcast at htb60.com is the address. And if this sounds noisy, it's because I'm sitting in a cafe at Stansted Airport waiting for a flight that is very badly delayed. Oh, the glamour!